that John and Jory uh, last week's sermon on heaven to start this off with. Let, hey, let me say a couple of things, several things actually, before we keep going. Um, I understand last week I gave you an overwhelming amount of scripture and information. And that was intentional uh, because I want you to know that everything we're going to do all the time, especially when it comes to a heaven series, um, is it's going to be scripturally and biblically based. It has to be. I, and I want to, as your pastor, shepherd you the best that I can from the pulpit and disciple you. I also want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, there are going to be some things that I say from the Bible uh, that's going to kind of make you feel uncomfortable. And I want you to know that's okay. Um, what I end up finding out for myself is a lot of times I end up forming this perspective of heaven based off things I've always been told but not taught. A lot of us form a theology of God and who God is in heaven or anything else based off what we've been told and not always taught. Therefore, when we dig in the text, it begins to push back what we've always been told and we begin to get kind of confused and we wrestle. I want to invite you into that wrestle and know that it's healthy and it's good. Um, I also want to tell you that I applaud all of you for walking through this. As your pastor, I'm, I'm very aware that most, if not all of us in this room, as we're tackling this topic, you've been wrestling with the loved one that you've lost. And that's hard. And so I'm aware of that with you. Uh, be quite frank, you know, I, I've wrestled about my sister who passed away last year, the child that my wife and I lost, and so all these things bring up these emotions that would make it much easier to run and not have to face coming back each week. Uh, but I just applaud you. I know some of you have been uber courageous to walk through this, and you probably sat there wrestling with wanting to sit in this seat or not while I was preaching you, to you. And so I just want to say as your pastor, I love you. I'm proud of you for enduring these emotions that you have to wrestle with. And my, my deep, deep, deep desire um, is that um, you let the word of God comfort you. A lot of times we allow our emotions to dictate what we believe is truth in order to give us comfort. But what I want to do is take God's truth and let that comfort us so that no matter what our emotions are telling us, we can always go back to the truth. I also want to give you three things as we're moving forward for the rest of the series. I want to give you three things. I want you to write this down because I want you to remember this as we're going through this series. Today we're going to tackle the topic, will we recognize each other in heaven? Now we can have an opinion, we can, I can share things with you and that may sound incredible because it gives you comfort. But what I want to be sure to do is give you a biblical basis for why um, historical and modern-day scholars would say, absolutely, here's the answer. In dealing with relationships in heaven, we have to deal with the multifaceted um, levels of relationships. So what does that look like with friendships? What does it look like in marriage? Will we be married in heaven? What about the babies that have been aborted? What about miscarriages? What about infants? What, what about that? What does that relationship look like in heaven? We're going to tackle that today. And so I'm going to give you three things before we tackle this. And kind of here's what spurred this on. 
Um, I don't know about you guys, but my wife made it very clear that I opened up a whole new can of worms for her with questions. Did I do that to y'all? Two of you, great. The rest of you, the rest of you already knew all of it. Well, my wife, like we were going all throughout this week, to be honest with you, she's like asking me all kinds of questions. And then my kids started asking me questions. And I started feeling like I was getting jumped, like spiritually. And so my daughter comes up and says, Dad, it's so sweet how everyone has a different question because it means so much to them. And so um, she asked me, my wife's asked me questions about her father that passed away. And then my nine-year-old daughter said, Dad, are there animals in heaven? And she says, uh, I said, well, yeah, honey, the scripture, Isaiah 65, Revelation says that there, you know, the lion and the lambs and we'll, be, we'll play together and yada, yada. She's like, yes. Does that mean the goldfish you flushed down the toilet is going to be in heaven and our dog Champ? And then she, she said, how does Champ, if Jesus is the only way to God, how does Champ place his faith in Jesus? It's like, go to your room, girl. You're asking too much questions. Get behind me, Satan. So, and some of you are legit sitting there like, well, answer the question. What about the goldfish? What about your golden doodle? What about cats? No, I didn't say anything. You're, you are the one that responded in that manner. These are legit questions. And I'm going to give you the freedom. And I'll start by saying this to you. We will not know everything about heaven. Let me give you the space. Because everything we're going to tackle just has more layers of questions attached to it. And as your pastor, as, as, as hard as I study up here, I, I, I will come up here well studied every week uh, for, to, to shepherd you well. But as your pastor, I will start off by saying, just as I told my wife and my daughter, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know all of the answers to the questions that we have. But what I want us to focus on are the glorious things that we do know from his word. And so there are three things I want to tell you. Uh, and by the way, you'll see this picture come up. I, I've, been, I've been using um, the Bible as my main source, by the way. Uh, but as, a, as a, uh, a researcher, as a studier, as a pastor, I always check my work uh, against other well-known, respected scholars that I really trust and believe. And, uh, and so different scholars that I've been using have been guys like John MacArthur, John Piper, uh, N.T. Wright. And then there's this book uh, called Heaven. It's a number one seller on heaven. Um, the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, has used this guy for various events. Uh, but it's this God Heaven about um, this book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, which is about 400 pages that answer a lot of these questions, very biblically solid, biblically based, uh, that most modern day scholars would point to today to say this has a lot of good stuff in it. I want to also give you the freedom to disagree with anything you want to disagree with. But I also want you to recognize that if you disagree with something that you have been told but never been taught, wrestle with the scripture. Amen. I plead with you, wrestle with the scripture. That is going to be our governing base for three things I would tell you before we get going. Number one, there will be more questions than answers. 
On the way home, my wife's like, do you know how many people you messed up today? (laughs) Did that impact you directly, sir? (laughs) I thought I was the only one. It, it, It messed me up, too. Just so you guys know, it's been messing me up in a good way. Number two, let the Bible be your guide. Not only for this topic on heaven, but anything. Let the Bible be your guide for believing what you believe. Not even me. I don't have authority over the Bible. I'm honored to be your pastor. Um, But the Bible is the the highest authority in our lives. Number three, leave room for mystery. Leave room for mystery. Listen, there is so much we just don't know. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to say, I don't know. But man, I bet it's going to be much better than here. I don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us that. What age will we be in heaven? The age we passed away in? Are we going to be our prime age? Are we going to be older? Do we age in heaven? Well, I actually have long hair. (laughs) These are very important questions. I don't know. Not about my hair, but the age. (laughs) I know I'll have long hair, but... We don't know. We don't, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know. But do not let the unknown negate the hope of what we do know. Do not let the unknown negate the hope of what we do know. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer three questions today. And I love, before I get into this, what Tim Keller says, who I respect greatly. He says, many lifelong Christian believers feel they understand the basics of the Christian faith quite well and don't think they need a primer. Nevertheless, One of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do. We won't know it all. So let me answer the question now. Will we recognize each other in heaven? I overwhelmed you with about 50 scriptures last week, so I'm going to narrow it down today. I'm going to give you about four scriptures that we're going to use that are probably most notable scriptures that are used by scholars um, who would answer these questions with the text. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. In this gospel, we're going to take a look at what's called the transfiguration to answer the question, will we recognize each other? Will we know each other? Will we meet new people in heaven? Or are we some kind of disembodied spirit that's just floating around that are unrecognizable because we're spirit? Let's answer this question, how can we be sure? If we are taking the approach from the... the theological and doctrinal perspective from the resurrected body. Um, That means that we believe our bodies will be resurrected. Um, So uh, this is going to be the approach out of the doctrine of the resurrected body. Verse 29 in Luke chapter 9. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those, uh, let's look at what I'm about to do here because we can read over this, but we'll skip actually doctrine that's taught in here that will give us true comfort whether or not we will recognize one another and still have our our identifiable bodies and recognize others that we've never met before. So, Peter... Um, now Peter and those who were with him heavenly were asleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. So they saw his glory, speaking of Jesus, 
and the two men who stood with him, which means they saw the two men listed, Moses and Elijah. Well, how would they recognize whether or not it was Moses and Elijah if Moses and Elijah's bodies were not um, identifiable? They've never met them before. They lived years before them. So therefore, uh, Scripture gives us the basis to clearly understand that here is Peter, sees at the transfiguration, sees Moses and Elijah and recognizes them, has heard about them, recognizes them, which is a whole other mystery of how he knew them. And the, but nonetheless, he recognized their identifiable bodies who were with him heavy asleep. Two men stood with them, and as, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because I recognize that it's them. Now, let me pause right here. If you want to answer the question, will we recognize one another? Will we recognize another in heaven? If the doctrine of um, resurrected bodies is what we're taking a look through, which it is all throughout Scripture. By the way, just because I'm using one Scripture, I didn't want to overwhelm you. There are tons of Scriptures that scholars would use to say, look, this is how we know we would recognize one another. So the answer to that um, clearly seems to be, yes, we will recognize one another. This is super cool. Recognize one another and have new relationships as well in heaven. So we will uh, be able to form, because uh, we're not these invisible spirits floating around in a new heaven and new earth, but we are identifiable all throughout Scripture, just as Jesus was in the transfiguration. Um, we are identifiable, which tells us that we will have a similar resemblance, not fully clearly understanding what that means, in the new heaven and new earth. So we will recognize one another. We will also be able to form new relationships. And some of you asked throughout this week, um, I got all kinds of questions. I answered as many as I, I, I possibly could. But some of you asked, does this mean that we will be able to sit with the people from the Old Testament? Like, what about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Jacob? Are we going to be able to go to Abraham? And Abraham um, had a wife and he slept with his maidservant, if you don't know that story. And they had a child that they weren't supposed to have. Are we going to go to Abraham and be like, bruh, that was stupid. Come on. <laughs> Like, come on, you know that was stupid, right? Like, we've been talking about you for thousands of years. What were you thinking, bro? I, look, I don't know if you want to. I don't know, you know, what I'm going to say. Probably not that, but are we going to be able to talk to Abraham, Isaac? Isaac, what did it feel like when you felt like your dad was tripping? And he puts you on the altar to sacrifice you. You want to talk about it? Are you still mad at him? I used to be a pastor at North Phoenix. Talk to me. I can help you through this. <laughs> David, Amen. when you saw Bathsheba, I'm going to stop right there. But you know, <laughs> so you may ask the question, are we going to see those? Matthew 8. Jesus is, is, is speaking. And when Jesus speaks, you have to understand he is doctrine, he is theology, he is truth. So what he says is truth. What he says is comforting, it's guiding, it's informing. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with, watch this, this is super cool, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
What is Jesus saying? Will we be able to not only recognize one another? Yes. Will we make new relationships? Yes. Will we be able to dine and sit and recline at the table with those, those Old Testament heroes that we see? Yes. How do we know that in relationship, we will still have a relationship like we do here on earth? Watch this. This is super cool. And the Holy Spirit, the inspired Word of God is so intentional. There are times where we can read the Word of God and totally even skip what was there. Kind of like some of you last week said, I never knew the Scripture said, the first heaven and first earth makes sense now. Because right? sometimes we can just read and we skip over it. Let's slow down right here uh, to answer several questions. We will sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means they're recognizable. If they're recognizable, it means that, look, watch this. This is super cool. Look at these generations. His father's here, and his son is here, and his grandfather is here, and they're at the table together. And so, new relationships, recognizable. You'll see and recognize your loved ones. You will get to ask Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob questions. And you'll get to recline. So do we, yeah, it's, it's, let me just tell you, why is, can this be uncomfortable? Because it's so hard to comprehend with these earthly minds how, how infinite this God is. It's, it's so hard to wrap your mind around that. But according to the scripture, yes, absolutely. Like what great hope right? Like what great hope. Uh, Billy Graham was asked all these questions. Some of you know Billy Graham very well. We expect very well known, and he was being interviewed, and they were asking him questions about heaven, like what is it going to be like? What are we going to eat in heaven? Do we eat? What do we, you know, what, what's going to go on? And they, they're asking him all these questions, and they begin to ask about loved ones. Will we know our loved ones? Will they be recognizable? Um, what's, what is it going to be? And so here's what he says. He says this great quote that was comforting, but more than comforting, it came from this biblical uh, text in Luke 9. Listen, he says this, I think, too, of the occasion when Jesus' appearance was changed or transfigured, and his heavenly glory shone through. We are told that Moses and Elijah also appeared, and they were recognized by the disciples who were with Jesus, proving that we will retain our individuality in heaven. Sounds good, but it's also backed with Luke chapter 9. John MacArthur, who you're not going to see up here, just listen. John MacArthur says this, We will be reunited not only with our own families and loved ones, but also with the people of God from all ages. That's going to be incredible. Like, that's going to be unreal to be able to actually, I don't know if there's going to be a line to talk to someone. I don't know how that's going to happen. I have no clue. The fact that it's going to be reality. There are going to be people from all ages. In heaven, we will be one loving family. So, if we are going to have this great reunion, <laughs> that's the first amen I've had all sermon. The people like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but listen, listen how sweet God is. What I was about to say, what does that mean about the infants in heaven? Hey, and that's sweet. You don't, you don't, don't worry about it. That's a sweet sound. Don't worry. And I heard another one start chiming in. I was like, hey, me too. <laughs> no, but listen. 
Clancy and I, which has been tough for us two to walk through this, uh, we lost a child about seven years ago. And we've always called the baby, baby love. And so when people ask us, how many children you have? We'll say, oh, we have four. And we'll start naming the kids. And then our kids are always say, no, 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 five, baby love. Baby love is in heaven, right? And so I had to ask, and you have to ask, I could, do I, it, it feels good to say baby love is in heaven. It feels very comforting because I want to believe that, but what does the Bible say? Because that's where the true comforts come from, right? And what about those babies that have been aborted? The thousands and thousands of babies that have been aborted. What about the miscarriage? What about, what about those who are physically uh, 27 but mentally one with mental um, disabilities? How do they place their faith in Jesus? How do they get to heaven if Jesus is the only way? And, and then what age are they? What age is baby love right now? And I, this is, I don't know. Like, I have no clue. But what I do know is what the Bible tells us about this. So we're going to go, and I know, listen, I know for some of you, it's bringing up emotions. Um, I'm just going to be, I don't know how else to be, but uber transparent. Some of you in here have had abortions, and you've, you've probably been haunted and wondering, like, what does this mean? Some of you have had miscarriages. Um, some of you have had an infant pass away, and, and, and the layers go on in the room this size. And uh, I want to shepherd you through this if you would allow me to, uh, by, by giving you just true hope through the Word. And so when you ask the questions, what about um, infants? We're going to turn to a, a, a text, uh, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and you can just look on here, or you can turn in your Bibles a text that is primarily, most notably used to defend the case that not only does it match the heart of God to say, yes, they're in heaven, but then you want biblical substance to really cling on to, uh, to know that they are in heaven. So this is the text that you will find amongst others, Ezekiel 16, uh, Samuel, uh, when David speaks of his child who passed away, he says, I will come to you one day. Uh, there's another one they will use, but let's sit on this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, this is uh, what's going to be known as Israel's rebellion. And Israel keeps rebelling against God. Um, and, and, uh, and so God begins to say, I'm going to wipe out. You're an evil generation, and I'm going to wipe you out. And you may ask the question, like, and you read the book of Joshua, and you see how um, infants and kids were, were, were killed, and you think, well, that seems unfair. What about them? So that question is going to be answered when it comes here. Um, verse 34, and the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore. And so here's God angry because of their rebellion and disobedience. Um, for those who may say, hey, God doesn't get angry. This is not um, the kind of angry that may be from a sinful place of the righteous anger, uh, by the way. And he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation. So he takes a look at an entire generation and calls it evil. And he says, not one of them, which is pretty uh, a strong language, evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children, okay, we're gonna, I will give the land which he has trodden, because he was holy, he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter it, encourage him, for he shall call cause Israel to inherit the land. And then here's where you will see where scholars will sit on this text to defend the case 
um, when children die, um, Ezekiel 16, God will call children and infants his little ones or his children. And, and which basically says that um, they are covered by him. But this is even uh, um, um, more importantly for the sake of our understanding in this text, um, what we will use. So watch this. And as for you, your little ones. So they, it's like um, God knew we'd be asking the questions, what about the little ones? What about baby love? Who didn't have the opportunity to place the, um, their faith in Jesus. What happens? That Jesus is the only way. So it's like God knew the questions we would ask and ask for your little ones. So for me, I can put, as for baby, love. I can personalize it, right? Because it's the character of God and it's the word of God and it's the living word of God, which means he hasn't changed his mind on this, nor has it expired. If I could personalize this now. So now the word becomes living for me and for you, written years and years ago. And as for your little ones, as for, for baby love, right? You said it would become a prey in your children who today have no knowledge. This is, this is what we must sit on. Uh, that God would not hold these infants who were aborted or miscarried or even born in past accountable because they had no knowledge of good and evil. And, and uh, no matter how far you dig, uh, that you will dig in this, um, you will find uh, the scholars over and over and over find that not only does this match the consistency of God's character, uh, but most importantly, it is the Word of God. Have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there. So the little ones, the infants, the children who have no knowledge of good and evil, um, uh, what the scholars would say, would not be held accountable as an infant who was aborted, who had no decision. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. And so God is saying to them, who is the them? Little ones, children, and will possess it. What is the possess it? What is the it speaking of eternity? Okay, so now God is saying, these are my little ones, these are my children, and I'm going to cover them. Uh, some scholars, modern-day scholars, would say they are God's chosen, a part of the elect, however you want to call it. Nonetheless, let this bring you great comfort today because we will grieve. My wife and I still grieve. There are times we've teared up, and I told her in the car, like, I can't stop thinking about baby love, and I looked over, and she teared up and said, me neither. Um, so we grieve, First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13. We grieve, but we grieve with a different hope, right? We grieve forward as a Christian because of this biblical hope. We can grieve forward to know that it hurts, it's real, may never get over it here on earth, but we're grieving forward to understand that one day we will meet baby love and I hope and pray that baby love looks more like Clancy than me. <laughs> I hope that comforts some of you today. A modern-day scholar who is well-respected says this, the view I embrace is that all those who die in infancy, as well as those so mentally incapacitated, they're incapable of making an informed choice, are among the elect of God, chosen for salvation before the world began. The evidence for this view is scant but significant. So there are times in our lives where we would say, well, God wouldn't do that, or God would do that because it matches his character. And so that is comfort, right? We say these things because they're comfort. And, but we have to be sure they're also truth. So universalism. Um, nobody's going to hell because God is too good of a God. Sounds good, maybe feels good, but it's not true. Jesus is the only way. 
So what about, you know, those my family members that have passed away and don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, never professed? And so, while there are things that seem more comfortable, we have to be sure that our comfort doesn't define untruth that we think is true. And so, another about babies on, and salvation of babies is a great book by Al Mohler and John Aiken, uh, two seminary presidents, say, uh, we know that heaven will be filled with those who never grew to maturity on heart, but in heaven will greet us completed in Christ. How sweet is that? I hope that no matter what my baby's age in heaven is, that the baby has some Jordans on in heaven. Of course, I'm, I'm joking. But, but so let me let that encourage you to the word of God that we will have relationships of, of, uh, that we know here on earth. We will have new relationships. We will see those from the Old Testament and it will be um, identifiable just as you and I will. So then marriage in heaven. And I'm going to close on this. Last thing about this. And there's so many more aspects to relationships. Um, but the, I'm trying to tackle the big questions. How many of you would say we are married in heaven? Raise your hand if you believe that. How many of you would say, we are not married in heaven? How many of you would say, I don't know? How many of you would say, I hope I'm not? No, I'm joking. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. put your hands down, lady. Um, so, let's take a biblical approach on what the Bible says. Um, so, in Matthew 22... Um, Jesus is, is, is being Jesus. He's teaching in the Gospels, and every time Jesus is teaching something, what you'll always see um, are people always trying to trip up Jesus. And here's the thing. The Sadducees at this point, when they were trying to trip up Jesus, they weren't bad people. They were biblically hungry. They wanted to stand and know the truth. But for some reason, they followed Jesus around, and they were legalists, and they, they always try to find something wrong with him. You ever, you have any friends like that? Yeah. Well, they saw Jesus and they were threatened by Jesus. And so they wanted to, to trip up Jesus and they wanted to, to really just confuse him. And so they asked him a question that came, by the way, from books, the first five books of the Old Testament. So they were, they were attacking him biblically to try to trip him up. And so they, they asked this question from a biblical perspective about marriage. And, and here's the way Jesus answered there are several other scriptures we can go to about marriage, but this is the way Jesus answered about marriage in heaven. So are we going to be married in heaven? Here's what he says. Now, there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died and having no offspring. So now they're asking Jesus almost this trivial question, like let's trip him up and see if he can answer this. Having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So two, the second and third, down to the seventh. So this lady had been married seven times. So he's like, answer that one, Jesus. And you could almost sense this arrogance of like, yeah, you, you're not going to get, because which one is she going to be married to if she's been married seven times? Answer that one. And verse 27 tells us this, after them all, the women died. And the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. So now they're all married to her, is what the scripture says. So he's like saying, Jesus, how are you going to answer this one? And here's what Jesus says, verse 29. But Jesus answered them, 
Like, I love that every once in a while in the text, maybe it's the way I interpret it, I feel like Jesus gets a little salty. <laughs> you, I don't know how Jesus said this. I don't know if he's like, hey, you're wrong. Or if there's like, Psh, you're wrong. Or if it's like, you are wrong. And you're like, Whew. I have no clue, but I, I can personally tell you that when my wife and I get in a dispute, man, I love looking at her in the eyes and say, you are wrong. It's some of the <laughs> most powerful words in our 12 years of marriage. So he says, you are wrong. Listen to this. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, resurrected bodies, they neither marry nor given in marriage. You know what that means in the original language in the Greek? That you're not getting married in heaven. So he is saying there will be no marriage in heaven. Now I know what's, I know what's happening right now. Some of you are like, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm tired. <laughs> Honey, don't raise your hand. Some of you who are single are like, you got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me right now? There's no marriage in heaven. Like, yeah, you're not going to go to heaven and be like, check out my Riz game. Like, check me out. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. You're not going to go to heaven and... No, here's a crazy thing is that we will be in heaven. So I will know that I was married to her on earth, but she won't be my wife in heaven. Isn't that crazy to comprehend? Which means I will intentionally walk by Clancy. Be like, uh-uh, girl, you had your chance. <laughs> like, I won't do that, I don't think. But but so, so, but, but why? I want you to listen, though, because for some, it's like, that's crazy. There's no marriage in heaven. Number one, we see it from the Bible. He says, there is not marriage in heaven. You may ask why is there not marriage in heaven. Marriage on earth was created to represent our relationship with God. If marriage on earth was created to represent and reflect our relationship with God and to procreate, means that if there's no marriage in heaven, there will be no need to reflect the image bear, to, be, to reflect the image of God because we will be the image bearers of God in heaven, perfect and holy, sinless. Which means if there is no marriage in heaven, there's no physical intimacy. There's kids in here. I'm going to leave it right there. There's no need for it. And when we think about no marriage on, in heaven, we're thinking about it through a fleshly mind thinking, but marriage is when two become one, and marriage is where we're not lonely, and marriage is where we live together and experience together. But I'll tell you, in heaven, you won't have the same longings, desires, and voids in your life that you have right now. Therefore, when we get to heaven, although we have these relationships, we won't be longing for what we long for in relationships right now. In relationships right now, you long to be valued from people. You long to be affirmed. You long to be seen. You long to be loved. You long to be noticed. You long that because there is, um, while you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there are still in our earthly bodies who are waiting to be resurrected. You long that now because what you're longing is a reminder that this is not your final home. So when we get to heaven, you won't have the same longings and desires to be affirmed, to be desired 
desired to be valued. Because in the presence of God, you will be and have all of that. Therefore, there will be, um, there will be no need for another to complete you, to fulfill you. Because Jesus does all of that. And so um, I, I joke, and, and I'm trying to make this not so heavy-hearted and, and fun with you, but there in this, this marriage, the scripture is very clear. Um, there won't be marriages going on. Um, you won't be married to who you're married to now. Um, although I love what some of these scholars said, but there's going to be this, this intimacy with a, a, the person that you were married to, and there's going to be these deeper friendships. There's going to be this deeper value that our minds can't comprehend. Well, pastor, what does that look like? I don't know. I don't know. But I just have a hunch that a lot of things that I'm concerned about here on earth when I get to heaven probably won't matter. Amen. Probably won't matter. And so my encouragement to you today, um, as we think about these relationships, as it stirs up in you, I'm going to close the way um, I open. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And here's the three things I would tell you again. I know that I just opened up another can of worms for you. But I plead with you that the enemy will sometimes distract you and torture you with the things that we do not know. The way to dispute that is to fix your eyes on Jesus and the things that we do know, the biblical things that we do know. What age is baby love? I don't know. What does baby love look like? I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. But what I do know is that baby love, according to Scripture, very clearly, is in heaven, which gives me great hope. What I do know is that we'll be reunited with our loved ones. What I do know is that there's this great hope before us that we can celebrate, that we can be encouraged by. But make no mistake about it, as, as we continue to have questions, wrestle with God, it's okay. Let the Bible guide those things. And then leave room for mystery. It's okay to say, I don't know, God, but I love you. I'm grateful for you. And I'm gonna close where I'm gonna close every single week. It's exciting to think about being reunited with your loved ones. It's exciting to think about um, the hope that we have in that but I also want you to know something in this room today. That we're not reunited with our loved ones. We're not reunited um, with each other. And we're not sitting before God. This doesn't happen because we're good people. It doesn't happen because we served a lot or gave a lot. This only happens through Christ and Christ alone. And I want to be overwhelmingly clear that if you're in this room today, Listen, I can have this hope that I'll be reunited, not because I'm a pastor or a good person, because my best day still falls short of his holy standard. But I can stand here with hope and reinsurance, not because of, of me, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And, and I don't want to use this moment to say, hey, you can't see your loved one unless you accept Jesus, so accept Jesus. No. Seeing our loved ones in heaven is almost this... this byproduct of joy in comparison to knowing Jesus. So my greatest desire is not like, hey, go to heaven so you can see your loved ones. 
While that's so hopeful, my greatest desire for you this morning is that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you can claim these truths that we came across today, so you can have hope, forgiveness. Can you imagine leaving here today? If you've come in this room and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe somebody invited you. I'm so glad you came. But you may be sitting here and it's like, man, this is all new. Um, I don't know about this. And the scripture says, the way to the Father is through the Son. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That there's this forgiveness that Jesus offers, but it only comes from you placing your faith in him. So really twofold. One, for the Christians in this room today, uh, the enemy can continue to mess with you when you sin and he just overwhelms you with this guilt and shame and it's this cycle, right? Cling on to the truth of you being forgiven. Romans 8. That therefore there is now no longer condemnation for those that are in Christ which means that there's no longer this final judgment on you because you're in Christ. But the rest of the text says, for those that are in Christ. And so you can only claim that if you're in Christ. So this morning, I'm gonna ask our pastors to come up front and maybe you just need prayer this morning. This has stirred up some emotions. You just need prayer for strength uh, to keep grieving forward. We'll be here for you. We wanna pray with you. And if you're here today, you never surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And, and here's where it starts. For some of you believers in the room, I'm going to speak to the Christians, to those who can claim these truths, because you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you were here, you just say, Pastor, you just pray over us this morning, just for strength as we wrestle through loved ones that we lost. You just raise your hand. All across this room, there, look, there's people everywhere. You're not alone, guys. You're not alone. Thank you for trusting me. You can put your hand down. Then there are those that have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be clear, it's faith in Jesus. It's not a hand raise, not a prayer, not a walk down the aisle. These are byproducts of a decision, but the decision is faith in Jesus. If you are here today, you're saying, Pastor, I've never placed my faith in Jesus. I didn't know I needed to. I didn't know that I needed forgiveness of my sins. But if you're telling me that Jesus will forgive me and I can be in relationship with him and spend eternity with him, I'm not perfect, but I want that. Will you just raise your hand all across this room? Just to admit, there are hands everywhere. Just to admit, I'm not perfect, but I want that. All in the ramps, the aisles, the all across the room. Thank you all. Thank you all for being open and honest. Thank you. Thank you. There are hands all over. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray. Y'all can put y'all's hands down. Thank you, ma'am. I know that wasn't easy. Thank you. I'm going to pray, and here's what we're going to do. If you just want to receive Christ, if you need prayer, we're going to sing together and just come up. The altar is open. The altar is open. Father, we love you. We pray for a, a saving knowledge of Jesus. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that while we stand on your truth, we also know, gosh, God, you are so big. So big. There's so much mystery about you that keeps us pursuing you. Jesus' name we pray, amen.